now and let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 4. Sunday morning studying the book of Genesis together in a series entitled Gleanings from uh, Genesis and if you're with us this morning and you are without a Bible just flag one of these guys coming up the aisle now get a Bible into your hand. We want you to hear the Word of God, but we want you to see it as well. But both gates to have it have that kind of an impact upon your lives. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please make that one a gift from the Lord to you this morning. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell. And so the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And so now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, uh, this guy's got a lot of nerve. Uh, he even makes me stop reading here through the passage to say that. He said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. And I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And, I, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage and this revelation, both of Cain and Abel, and we pray that you would use this time <clears throat> this morning in studying principally Cain uh, to eradicate uh, any semblance of him in our hearts, our minds, our spirit, our relationship with you, that you any investment we have, even uh, the smallest portion of our life that is invested in the way of Cain, that you would remove that uh, 100% from our lives, get us off of that path this morning under the weight and revelation of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I do want to read to you uh, from the book of Jude, Jude uh, verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain 
have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So Jude speaking of the way of Cain. Now we saw last week as we studied this uh, same portion of Scripture uh, in, in looking supremely at the sin of Cain, or again as Jude puts it, the way of Cain, uh, in, in his uh, short epistle. And, and we looked at the way of Cain, the sin of Cain, at its most uh, fundamental, at its most foundational. And how it is that the way of Cain refers to any attempt by man uh, to come to God and to make ourselves righteous before God, to make ourselves acceptable to God on the basis of our own uh, good works, on the basis of our own human effort, uh, on the basis of our own man-made ideas, as opposed to approaching God in the way that Abel did, and that is on God's terms, on the basis of his word, uh, that is on the basis uh, of faith in the sacrifice uh, that God requires of us, and all of which, as we saw last week, was a picture of the coming of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is the sole means by which sinful man can approach God. Uh, Jesus, who as John the Baptist declared concerning him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what Cain teaches us is that we must approach God on his terms and we must approach him uh, his way, and that he will not accept, absolutely will not accept, uh, any means of our, our devising. We remember that when Abel approached God on the basis of uh, sacrifice, that, uh, and the sacrifice that God had demanded, that the Lord respected Abel, verse 4, and his sacrifice, his offering. When Cain attempted to approach God on the basis of a sacrifice of his own devising, we're told that the Lord did not respect Cain uh, and his offering. And as we saw last week, uh, did not respect literally means he wouldn't even look at it. Uh, And uh, not only did God not respect Cain's offering, but we're told that he did not respect Cain as well. In other words, this is a total rejection uh, by God of what Cain is doing. Not only a rejection of his offering, but a rejection of his person, of uh, anyone that possesses the heart or possesses the attitude uh, that, that would presume to think that I can approach God on my own terms, independent of a faith in, in uh, Jesus Christ. And I think that to anyone who would protest at uh, God's treatment of Cain and, and kind of the weakness of, of our current hour, Uh, in American history and uh, look at all of this and say, well, that doesn't seem very loving of of God. Uh, And uh, a a C.S. Lewis quote comes to mind. Uh, Famously, he wrote, you asked for a loving God. You have one. The great spirit you so lightly invoked, the Lord of terrible aspect, is present. Not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. Not the cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate. Nor the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guests. But the consuming fire himself. The love that made the worlds. 
Persistent is the artist's love for his work. As despotic as the man's love for a dog. Provident and venerable is a father's love for a child. Jealous and exorable, exacting is love between the sexes. And uh, candidly, the fact that uh, the God of the Bible has a backbone, so to speak, that he is both loving uh, and righteous to me is very, very refreshing. And I think uh, I'm not alone in that as we watch the world around us. uh, Define love as never doing the hard thing, uh, never saying the hard uh, thing, never demanding a difficult thing of of anyone, and then congratulating ourselves on how loving we are while we watch uh, people then destroy their lives in a a thousand uh, different ways. Now, the way of Cain, uh, this way that Jude warns us away from, even as Christians, uh, has other aspects to it than, than what we've just reviewed here as it's revealed in our passage. Uh, Cain's life is a complete disaster. Uh, it, is, it is a disaster from the moment we meet him in Scripture to the moment that, that he passes uh, off, off the scene. And we're intended to learn something, as Jude's mentioned of him, multiple times he's mentioned in the New Testament, there's something that we're to learn from him even as uh, Christians who have approached God in the right way and been saved in the, in the manner of his, his demanding. I don't know about you, but uh, in life, if you look back on the years of our lives, I would say that uh, fully, uh, perhaps even half of what I've learned in life, uh, even as a Christian, I have learned by watching uh, people do things right, watching role models within, uh, within life. And, but then fully, at least fully half, of what I learn in life, and probably you learn as well, is watching uh, people do precisely the wrong thing in any and every circumstance, and then watch it crash and burn, and then say uh, to ourselves, note to self, never do that. Uh, because you will not have a different end. That sin or that decision will not have a different end in your life than in what you just witnessed. And so, so many of the uh, people that are brought before us in the Scriptures, uh, they are there to teach us, not from the angle of being a role model, but uh, teaching us uh, from uh, the other side of, of the learning curve and uh, seeing how disastrously things work out and then determining to uh, avoid that. I do remember uh, being on a bike ride one time and I passed a pickup truck and, and it had a sticker, a bumper sticker in its uh, rear window and uh, the bumper sticker said, uh, stupid should hurt. Um, it was right there w- with the gun racks and uh, everything else, so I knew we were dealing with. Uh, but I, I love the clarity of it. And, uh, and I can testify firsthand from my own life, that sticker is absolutely uh, true. Uh, it does hurt and, and it should hurt. Again, because um, not only uh, do I learn a great deal in my life from uh, doing things right, but then doing the wrong thing and then dealing with the pain of it 
and, uh, and, and of course, learning these things uh, and what to avoid in life, no more, more important or more critical than concerning spiritual things. We notice, first, I think, Cain's astonishingly uh, inappropriate response to God's refusal of his offering there in the latter part of verse uh, 5. He became angry. Uh, and and uh, he became angry hardly uh, encapsulates what he was feeling. Uh, the idea in the Hebrew uh, it, words that are used to describe it is that he is burning in anger. He is absolutely seething at God's rejection of uh, how he has chosen to approach uh, God. And so instead of confessing his sin his wrongdoing, uh, then asking God for forgiveness for that sin, repenting, and then learning what he ought to learn from that failure and that, uh, that experience between God, and then committing now to do uh, the right thing the next time, you know, which is the, the proper way to handle those kinds of situations. He got angry with God. He ought to have been angry with himself. But instead, this is a guy that can't do any wrong in his mind, uh, and, uh, and that person exists in every one of us. And instead, he gets angry at God, as if God had done something wrong in all of this. We're also told that his countenance fell, so he became downcast, and he, he became uh, bitter, he became filled with self-pity, and he begins to pout. Uh, again, as if he is the victim in this circumstance, in this situation, and uh, when, of course, he's nothing of the sort. I think, again, it's good for us to stop and allow all of this to search our hearts as we live in the uh, victimhood epicenter of the universe called the United States of America. Uh, everybody else is to blame for everything that has happened in my life and and again to uh, just allow this to search our lives and and how many people you know are there li- today like Cain who want to claim victimhood and and shift responsibility away from themselves blame other people even blame God over the consequences of their own decision-making. The consequences rest solely in the decisions that they have made. Decisions that are made in complete defiance of the teaching uh, of God's Word. Uh, Decisions made in the face of the warnings of uh, many, many other people in their lives. And so to ask ourselves here this morning, through very much in the privacy of our, our own hearts, but are any of us brooding this morning in anger, angry at God, bitter towards others uh, because of the blessings that they enjoy and that they enjoy simply because they obey God's commandments and, and they love God and, and manifest that love in obeying his commandments? Or, or angry at Everyone but yourself or myself for the messed up life that I live or the messed up circumstances that I find myself in when I have only myself and my own disobedience and my own disobedient decision making to blame for it.
And, and, and if that attitude toward God and towards others is even present in, in the smallest uh, amount within, within our lives, we have to be very careful of it as we look at the, this teaching concerning Cain. Because you, you have no idea where those emotions and that kind of thinking will ultimately take you. Uh, It can take us even to the place of murder or some other act of violence. And you look at our jails and our prisons. It doesn't represent everyone in in a prison population or a jail population, but it represents many, probably a majority of people in these institutions. They are filled with people who thought they could hold on to those kind of attitudes, that kind of thinking, and, uh, and somehow safely manage them, and only to find out that in a moment uh, they couldn't. And so the importance of stopping blaming everyone else for the consequences of uh, our life that has come about solely because of our own decision-making and rebellion against God. And instead, if I'm not a Christian, to repent of that sin, put my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and be born again by the Holy Spirit and be given a capacity uh, to live a life of obedience to God and uh, uh, to, to walk uh, uh, with Him. Now, thankfully, uh, God doesn't shun Cain. Uh, God knew exactly what Cain was thinking in all of this. He knew exact, exactly what Cain was feeling. And, and in, his, in God's grace, he approaches Cain. He knows Cain isn't going to approach him. Uh, so God, and you just think about uh, the condescension, the, the, the humility of God, if you allow me to speak of it in that way, that is represented in his approaching Cain in, in this in this condition, even as, as it is that he would add his, the voice of his spirit to the teaching and the passage here this morning to reach into any of our hearts and to call us out of this, this kind of a way. And so God approached Cain and instructed him, as you see there in verses 6 and 7. And, he, and, he, uh, and you notice his warning, you notice his instruction concerning sin. And, and here you have something that's invaluable. Um, I remember when I was a new pastor, and I would covet it even today, but as a new pastor, to be able to, I mean, everything's new to you. And, uh, and there's all kinds of new things that are still coming up, but not on the frequency as, as when you're brand new. And you begin to counsel people biblically related to all kinds of situations that are are brought before you. And one of the things that you realize early is that, uh, wow, I need all of the help I can get uh, on this uh, side of uh, the one-on-one ministry of the word to problems and situations or decision-making or perspective in a, in a person's life. And, uh, and so how invaluable it is to be able to sit in on a counseling session of someone who is skilled and experienced in that area and learn from them, not only in what they say, but how they say and how they go about and how they listen and all of those things. And here we're given a glimpse at a counseling session between, with, a, with the finest counselor that exists 
uh, between God and, and Cain here, invaluable. God is a very good counselor. And the first thing he does in verse 6 is he confronted Cain concerning his anger and his uh, bitterness. And, and so uh, he confronts Cain concerning uh, how he was feeling and, and about what had just happened, how he was processing God's rejection of, of his uh, uh, disobedient offering. In other words, uh, God is letting Cain know that this isn't the way to deal with sin and uh, God's correction in his life. Then God proceeded to instruct him on how to handle things properly in verse 7. The first thing he did is, did is God told Cain to do the right thing. Uh, Cain's sin was in ignorance. Once again, he didn't, it wasn't something that he tried to do his best and then found out subsequently that this was something that displeased God. He knew all along that God wanted a, a sacrifice that involved blood brought for him, before him, and not uh, the, the, the plant life that, that he brought, the work of his hands and the sweat, sweat of his brow. And so he told Cain, uh, do the right thing. God, Cain knew fully what God expected of him. And so his problem wasn't ignorance, it was disobedience. And God is just simply calling him to obey what he already uh, knew. And that is, again, to offer a sacrifice, the sacrifice that God required. And, uh, but this counsel that God gives to Cain is applicable to every single area, uh, every area of sin or rebellion or disobedience in, uh, in any of our lives. He just comes in after the crash and burn, and says, now, do the right thing, uh, and infuses hope into the situation in doing so. And, and uh, so the solution to God's rebuke in, in my life concerning sin isn't to mope around and to pout or to, to claim victimhood on it or feel sorry for myself. The solution is to get right with God and then do the right thing now in that area of life and, and move forward. Nothing complicated about it. Uh, anybody can do that. Certainly any Christian can do that. And again, as I said, this introduces hope into the situation. In other words, Cain could look at it and say, all right, I don't have to endlessly or hopelessly stay in this cycle in which I find myself in now. I can bust out of this orbit. I can bust out of this, this uh, pull of this thing now by simply doing uh, the right thing. And... Uh, and so if, Cain, if God had said to Cain, now listen, I've seen this before, and step number one is to get your PhD in nuclear science. Well, his heart would sink, wouldn't it? All of our hearts would sink because that's not something all of us are capable of doing. But, but all of us can uh, simply do what God has told us to do in, in uh, opposition to what it is that we had done that got us into the doghouse. The second thing that God does is, is God gave Cain a promise that if he did well, that God, uh, what God required of him, that he would be accepted. And so uh, God instructs us in every rebellion against him uh, and in every uh, sin that we commit against him, that, uh, that if, if we would do, do well, that uh, we'll, we will be accepted. And just uh, do in that situation in your life, 
what my word tells you to do in that situation, and things are going to be okay between you and me. I mean, God is infusing all kinds of hope into this situation. Talks about, Old Testament talks about giving us a future and a hope. I mean, he's really doing this with, with Cain. The third thing, and he does it with us too, the third thing that God did is he warned Cain, though, that if he continued in his sin and rebellion, that his sin and rebellion would ultimately come to destroy him. And in and, and one of the most graphic pictures and necessary pictures of how to view sin uh, for anybody, whether they're saved or unsaved, certainly to un- recognize it as a, uh, as a Christian, uh, God likened Cain's sin to a dangerous animal crouching at Cain's door, uh, waiting here to make a prey of him. And so we can all picture the imagery within our mind. We've all seen the nature shows on uh, television where you have the lion who lies in wait for just that moment of vulnerability from some animal within, uh, within the herd or some kind of a, uh, of a creature, and it waits patiently for that just the right moment to then rise up and destroy uh, its prey. And, and here, God wanted Cain, and he wants us to view sin and rebellion to his commandments in exactly the same way. In, in other words, no one in their right mind would ever keep a lion uh, close to them or keep a lion around the house uh, a, a lion intent upon their destruction. And, and God is saying so too, no child of God should ever accommodate uh, any sin or uh, deliberate sin or rebellion in our lives uh, uh, knowing that uh, like that lion, it is watching, it is waiting, it is seeking our destruction uh, w- with every bit the cold-bloodedness uh, of a lion. And that's a sobering uh, thing to uh, realize. Uh, we can convince ourselves that sin is a friend uh, to us. Uh, there's a lot of things we can convince ourselves of concerning what God has prohibited in his word and that we add to our lives. God says, no. It just, you would never keep a lion right outside your front door. And, and walk past it coming in and out of that front door. Why would you, what you would never do physically, why do you feel free to do uh, spiritually? As he, as he speaks this to Cain. And, and then he tells Cain uh, concerning this sin and its destruction, its desire is for you. In other words, that's exactly what sin wants to do to you. Now, a couple of New Testament passages immediately come to mind on uh, on all of this. Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may uh, devour. Uh, James writes uh, wonderfully and famously in James chapter 1, verse 13, he said, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. Uh, This is victimhood. 
for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, that is allowed to mature and become full grown in our lives, take its course in, in our lives, uh, sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And then it always fascinates me that James followed this exhortation with uh, a warning. And he said, do not be deceived, my brethren. And, and it's important to realize that any sin that I allow to continue to uh, live in my life, to grow in my life, is always quietly working for my destruction, to destroy me physically, uh, spiritually first, and then ultimately to destroy me uh, physically. And, and if I sit here this morning or stand here and I'm today and I'm coddling some willful sin, uh, if we are in our lives with the belief that somehow I'll be able to keep this small, I'll be able to keep this uh, manageable, it won't grow, it won't become uh, of full age, it won't mature and, and ultimately uh, destroy uh, uh, me, it won't uh, ultimately bring forth death, then I have bought the very lie that James uh, warned me against when he said, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And that capacity that we have to convince ourselves, to be fully aware, Cain was fully aware that what he was doing was fully wrong, and yet we can sit our, find ourselves in exactly that place and say, I can manage this, I can contain this, I can compartmentalize this uh, in, in my uh, 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 life. Allow me just to prime the pump in terms of what those kind of sins might be. Easy to talk about sin in some kind of a, you know, ob ob obscure way. But uh, Paul, in his letter to the churches in Galatia, he gives us a, a smattering of what he calls the works of the flesh. He said, now the works of the flesh are evident, so, uh, which are. So here's the things that we want to be careful that we're not protecting within our lives. Adultery. Uh, fornication, uh, uncleanness, speaking of sexual uncleanness. So sometimes people say, well, um, I'm not uh, fornicating with her or with him, uh, but we do everything else. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a Bill Clinton uh, thing that's included, uh, included here, and it's forbidden in the Scripture. Uh, lewdness, uh, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, oh, uh, contentions, uh, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, uh, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, uh, murders, drunkenness, revelries, that is partying, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit uh, the kingdom of God. So these are the kind of things that we want to uh, have, uh, allow to, to be searched and, and removed from, from our lives. I don't want to leave this subject without uh, adding Paul's voice to it because it's an important subject. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, for if we live after the flesh, uh, if ye live after the flesh, you shall die. 
But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. And he talks about mortifying the deeds of the flesh. That's sin. And the word mortify means cold-blooded murder. That's ruthlessness. Is to be absolutely ruthless concerning any sin within our lives. You say, why does Paul use such strong language to talk about dealing with sin? Because he understood fully what God warned Cain of, of here, and that is that sin will show no mercy to us. And so we, we must not show it any mercy within in our own lives. It's literally a life and death decision. We will either mortify sin or it will ultimately destroy us. Now, Cain makes the wrong uh, decision, and, uh, and it's a disaster for him. But for us, just to make sure that none of us make the wrong choice, whatever the sin, sin might be, but right here we're seated. Right here where some of us are standing in this room here this morning to just take responsibility and, and to choose repentance concerning any sin and then to choose life. And I, and I, I want that. It's, it's one of the images that is, is very uh, important that it's, it's, it's kind of burnt into my mind and the imagery of it, it's so important, of sin. And to always see every sin in our lives as a, uh, a lion in a doorway, uh, just waiting for the moment. I mean, making myself vulnerable to such an attack, just waiting for the moment when it can rise up and, and destroy me. And that imagery helps me. I don't know if it helps you, but it, it helps me. Sometimes we look at this and we say, I, I know we're dealing with, with a, a subject matter here that's uh, um, r- uh, pretty common within the Scriptures. And uh, God repeats it an awful lot. And, and I just wonder why. I, I wonder if, if he, I wonder if he, I mean, only he knows um, in this congregation, in any congregation of Christians, and meeting anywhere in the world today, uh, what percentage of, of our lives, I don't say this to be heavy at all, but what percentage of our lives, if our lives were known uh, to uh, anyone other than God, are, live habitually and long-term in the place of, of Cain, and uh, so he does repeat himself a lot because even if we don't stay in that place, things attach to our lives, even on a weekly basis, that we look at and go, whoa, okay, that, that, that's attached recently, and I need to cut that away uh, from my life uh, uh, this morning. The fact of the matter is there, there are no secret sins, as we'll see in, in just a moment. God tells him a fourth thing he tells Cain here, but you should rule over it. In, in other words, God tells Cain there's absolutely no need for, for you to become a casualty of sin. No need for anyone that knows God to become a casualty uh, of sin. So unnecessary and again, I think it reminds me of that encouragement of the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church at, at Philippi, and he said, for it is God who works in you, speaking to a Christian, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
and how it is that God supplies us both the will, the desire, the motivation to do the right thing, and then the power to do uh, the, the, the right thing. But we must choose to exercise that. And God speaks to Cain and says, but you should rule over it. There's no need for you to become a, a casualty or to continue on this path that you're on, uh, Cain. Cain's response is there in verse 8. Uh, he murders his brother. Uh, he's not very teachable. And uh, evidently didn't believe that uh, this was any kind of a danger uh, to him. And so he takes uh, Abel out for a walk somehow, some kind of an innocent walk in a field, and then he kills him. I wonder how he killed him. I have to get the CSI units on all of this. and uh, We know it wasn't a, a pistol or a sword or a spear. It had to be something primitive. Just stop. Put yourself in a field with Cain and imagine. This is your brother. But really any human being, but this is your brother. And he kills him out in that field. And, and what's required uh, of a person's heart and their mind to do that uh, to another human being? And here you have the very first murder in human history. You think about how many murders have occurred since the time of Cain. And Cain is just totally despicable in, in all of this. Not, not only in his premeditated violence against his brother, but, but his, his murder of a human being who, who is almost infinitely superior to him. And, 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 he, and he does it, he, he, this lesser, and it's almost continually the case by virtue of the committing of murder. Always the lesser taking the life of the greater. But it isn't merely the act of violence against Cain, uh, against Abel, rather. This is, uh, he does this in defiance of God. The Apostle John gives us insight into Cain's motivation for doing so. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, for you note takers. He said, in this, the children, uh, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? I mean, we're on the edge of our seat, aren't we? What was the motivation for this? And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. In other words, he murdered Abel because Abel's obedient life exposed uh, the wickedness of Cain and exposed Cain's disobedience to the word of God, to his rebellion against God, and made him responsible for continuing in that wickedness. Every Christian, every righteous person that lives the life and uh, walks the talk and talks the walk in life, uh, that person 
is a living advertisement for the fact that the Christian life as it's described in the Word of God can be lived. And what it does to a cane is it removes all of their blame shifting and excuses for failing to live that kind of life. And so a cane is, is forced with one of two choices, to either join the way of Abel in walking righteously with God, uh, to come into the light, or to put out the light. And that's exactly what he chooses to do. The easier, the harder, uh, easier on the short term, but the, the e- easier thing uh, to do. And that's what he was putting out when uh, it it was Abel's light and what it communicated, what it exposed about Cain and Cain's all through uh, history. And so rather than repent himself, he he, uh, decided to destroy uh, 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 Abel. And it's important to recognize this in the account, that this is not just the first murder in human history. But the first murder in human history involved bloodshed associated with religious persecution. The persecution of the righteous by the self-righteous. The persecution of those who know that a relationship with God is received on uh, the basis of faith, uh, grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but choose now to approach God in, in some other way. And Cain's anger, this is the first mention of human anger in, in the, uh, the Bible. And it is in the context of God confronting a man concerning his sinful condition and the inadequacy of his self-righteousness and approaching God. And sad to say, really, that this kind of thing, of course, did not end in the murder of Abel but it continues in the murder and the persecution of Christians all over the world today by those who are determined to approach God. Uh, This persecution, it comes forth from those that are are determined to approach God independent of Jesus and and to do so whether on the path of secularism or to do it on the path of some work-based religious uh, system. You might be aware as a Christian that we are in, it has never been more dangerous to be a Christian in human history around the world than it is today. More Christians are being persecuted and dying for their faith at the hands of secularists, who refuse to believe, you want to really steam some people in life, uh, tell them the, the words of Jesus, that there is only one way to God, and that is through a faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the way, the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by me. You want to see a people become, a person become enraged and even murderous, to see their uh, anger raised and their countenance changed toward you? But that's the message that we carry because that's the message of truth concerning salvation. 
But then every other religion in the world is a workspace religion. It is I do this and I gain acceptance before God. And Christianity stands not only as an individual like Abel, but it stands as a people, as the body of Christ within the world. And it communicates to the world that this is the way and that this life can be lived. That we can please God not only in how we're saved, but then in how we live following the fact that we are saved. And it is that persecution, it is that light, it is that uniqueness uh, 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 of Christians in the world that makes it the target of modern-day Cains who now number in the hundreds of millions uh, around uh, the, the, the world. God's curse upon Cain is recorded for us here in verses 9 through 15. God confronted Cain concerning his murder in verses 9 and 10. He asks Cain uh, uh, there in verse 9, he said to him, where is Abel your brother? It's not like God didn't know. He's, giving, he's confronting Cain. He's giving Cain an opportunity to, to confess his sin and, uh, and to do it willingly before it's drawn out of him. Cain's answer to him is, I do not know. It's an absolute lie. And I speak to myself, but anyone that cares to listen, um, good luck trying to lie to God. It's not like he doesn't... I mean, you you can fool um, some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can never fool, fool God, not for even a moment. He knows everything. So he, he's just going to bluff and bluster, and, and he, he's, he's going to lie. And then he follows it with uh, some of the, uh, one of the greatest examples of chutzpah, of nerve, in, in the whole Bible. He says, and he says to God, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, how hard it, uh, how hard, hard it is that? So it, it's, it, we're not talking here, Cain, uh, about uh, being your brother's keeper. We're, we're talking about uh, being his murderer. <laughs> You've fallen way short of being your brother's keeper. And yes, you ought to have been your brother's keeper. Uh, You know better, one generation from the Garden of Eden. And you are the older brother. And long before the law of Moses, there was the recognition that the the, uh, older within the family took care and had a responsibility for the younger. And here he is, he's trying this bluster, trying lies, probably trying to buy time to get out of this, but it can never, ever fool God. And God confronts him, confronts him straightly concerning Abel's murder there in in verse 10. He informed Cain that uh, Abel's blood cried out to him for justice, for judgment. And uh, for God to make this murder right and the, uh, as the shedding of innocent blood does all, all around the world today. Imagine you just think about how much innocent blood, how many bodies have been buried um, in uh, persecutions and pogroms and all kinds of things that have happened in history. Innocent blood that it, it has been buried, bodies hidden in the ground and all that cry out to the Lord for justice every day. And the Lord, his, he, he pronounced his curse upon Cain. He said in verse 11 that the earth would no longer cooperate with his efforts as a farmer, 
wouldn't allow him to make a, a living from uh, the, the earth anymore. In other words, God says, I'm not going to allow you to continue to prosper in uh, what uh, should have made you humble for, before me, but has only made you self-righteous and arrogant. And, uh, and now, it, it, and God begins now to, to work to, to take things away from him in order to minimize his power, his wealth, his influence for uh, unrighteousness. He told him in verse 12 that he would become a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And, of course, sin puts us on a path that is cursed. And Cain's response in verses 13 and 14, you just, just when you think you can't be shocked at how hard uh, our, our hearts could possibly become and how hard his was, he complained that God's punishment was too uh, severe. I mean, the, 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 the nerve of this, he's just killed his brother and he's blaming God for being too harsh. I mean, what he deserved is to be smitten uh, on, on the spot. It's like the old joke about chutzpah and about uh, nerve and the person, who, uh, the, the person who kills their parents and, and then they throw themselves on the mercy of the court as an orphan. And this is the, exactly what he's trying to do here. And of course, he's more concerned with his punishment than with his sin. There's no, there's no repentance at, at, at all in him. His heart is so, so hard. There's no godly sorrow for, uh, for his sin. There's only self-pity. He's, he's only concerned about the consequences that his, his sin is going to have upon him rather than what about the consequences of your sin upon others, upon Abel, the victims of, of your sin. There's so many uh, criminals, so many people that are locked up, so many people in general uh, trying to get pity and, uh, and uh, forgetting all about uh, the victim. The Bible says godly sorrow works repentance. There is a sorrow over being caught for sin. There is a, a sorrow for having to bear the consequences of my sin, but that's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow will always represent itself in repentance. And there's no repentance to be found here at all. The most galling of, of his very specific complaints in all of this, and I won't go through all of them, has to do with how all of this made him vulnerable to being murdered. <laughs> this guy have no self-awareness at all. His concern for himself here is that God's punishment has now made him vulnerable to be murdered uh, by others. And so here you got a guy, he can, he can dish it out, but he cannot take it. And how often, I mean, we see it in the news, we see it in these mass shootings and all these kind of things that go on, or even the shooting or murder of another person or the violence that's taken out on a, another person. They can dish it out, but they, they can't take it. And then as soon as they're caught, I mean, and Cain is a pure coward if the truth is is known about them. You have these people that ruthlessly murder another person or a whole bunch of other people, and then they get into the court system, and now they're going to fight tooth and nail for every day of their life. They certainly would have been vulnerable to somebody else taking his life, Cain would have been. At this point in uh, history, everyone uh, knew Cain. 
Everyone that lived in the world was a blood relative of his. Uh, You'll see a little bit later in verse 17, people ask, how did Cain get his wife? He married his sister. And we'll talk about it another time, but these people are living at this point in time 800, 900 years. I mean, how many childbearing years do you have when you live 900 years? How many children are being brought forth? And so uh, here he's got all of these brothers, all of these sisters, all of these nieces, all of these nephews, all of these people that are related to him by, by blood, and they certainly, none of them would have been pleased with the fact that they killed someone who is probably so popular within the family as, as Abel. And so uh, the gene pool, pure enough at that point for marrying within the family, later it would be prohibited under the law. Of Moses. So God puts a protection on Cain. Verse 15 declares that whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken upon him sevenfold. He puts a, sa- a mark on Cain. Nobody knows what that mark is. And uh, God kept vengeance for himself at, at this time concerning Cain. You ask yourself, why did he let him live? I, c- I can only assume that somehow it served God's purposes at, at the time. And perhaps so that uh, the rest of Cain's life would be like the sermon of what. Uh, happens to a person when, when uh, God's way is rejected and the, the misery that unfolds from uh, the decisions that, that he made for the, the world to see that the transgressor really is, uh, 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 the, the transgression, uh, life of the transgressor is, is, is hard. Capital punishment is going to be instituted uh, in Genesis chapter 9 as part of God's covenant with Noah and then it's going to be Uh, uh, definitely made a part of the law of of Moses, but it wasn't in place at this point in time. So we finish with Cain and uh, Abel here uh, this morning. And as we leave this account this morning, it's very simple. It's familiar territory. But evidently, as with the partaking of communion, is a time of allowing my heart to be searched for the quality of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And... Is it on a par, uh, is the quality of my Christian life on a par with the greatness of the sacrifice that was made in order to provide it to me? And so the passage is here, familiar passage in terms of its lessons. But it speaks to us this morning to cause us to search our lives and to make sure that we are not walking in the way of Cain at all. And uh, the importance, if you are not saved here this morning, of being, uh, approaching God, entering into relationship with God, that you can only be saved His way, God's way, and on His terms. And if you've never done that before, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service that would love to pray with you to begin the relationship with God that you've been created for. And then those of us who are Christians, for us to allow this message of Cain to make sure that we're not deliberately continuing in any sin, recognizing that it will destroy us as fully as it destroyed Cain. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. But I pray for myself and I pray for each of us here today. And I readily confess my ability to 
read these 15 verses in a devotional setting, in a church setting, and even listen to a sermon concerning these things and to leave a place like this and continue on in some measure invested on the way of Cain and not allow it to impact me and to search me and to change me, Lord. And I think that that capacity is within all of us. And I pray and we pray for one another and we pray for ourselves individually most of all that nothing of the way of Cain would be allowed to survive into the afternoon today, Lord, to later destroy us and the life that we know and the life that you have planned for us. We pray for that work of your Holy Spirit through your word to continue upon us through this day and beyond. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.